I cast some vision to our church on Monday night, and she was baptized right at the end of that. That entire uh, vision cast, our vision rally, is online now, and I want every one of you to take some time and see the entire evening, and you can see uh, uh, Betsy's baptism again, as well as her dad and her family and some other people who just spontaneously responded, because Betsy's words are pretty powerful. If I'm not afraid to be baptized, then why are you? And so right after this service today, I'm going to get back in that water again. And anybody who wants to say, you know what, the time is now. I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. I'm going to invite you to take that step and to give your life to Jesus Christ and to stand up before a few other people as an adult like Jesus, who was even dedicated as a baby, you know, and was brought to the temple by his parents. But then even in, in his own life at the age of 30, he stepped into the waters of baptism. And if you've never had that done before, if you've never humbled yourself and surrendered your life to Christ. I'm going to give you that opportunity today. We have everything that you need, um, clothes, hair dryers. If you need something else, I'll go find it. It's all here. You just come back, and right after the service, just come and uh, step right to that welcome desk or come to the front to this corner, and I'll be in there. We'll figure it out together. All right. You guys excited today? Wasn't it already been a good day to show up? All right. I want you to find the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 7. There's an incredible passage of scripture that I think casts a vision for us as to who we're to be. What is the culture of the family of God? What are we supposed to do in these next 10 years? I really believe that the next 10 years are the greatest 10 years of our life. It's been amazing what God has done in the last. But I also know that it's going to be the greatest years of your life if you'll make room. If you'll make room for God, I think that you'll grow more spiritually in the next six months than any other time in your life. God is at work. He's doing something powerful. Uh, People's lives are being changed, and we are being called to a higher standard. I overheard a conversation of one of our members uh, speaking to another member, and they were saying, wow, Darren has sure set the bar high during the 40 days of faith. Exactly. That is my goal because I love you. I am committed to you. I want to see you grow. I want to see you not just drift through the next 10 years of your life. I want you to discover the purpose for why God puts you on the earth. I want you to grow spiritually, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, in every way of your life. And I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you for something great in this next coming year. Do you know that at the beginning of the year when we do our first conference in January, we'll have some of the greatest men of God in our whole country will be here January 8th, 9th, and 10th to speak to us? You better block that off and plan to be here every night of the first conference as we dedicate the first few days of our year to the Lord. You're in for an incredible time of spiritual growth if, if you'll make room. And so I want to read this scripture today, not just as a story that happened in the Old Testament, but the Bible says that all scripture is breathed of God. And I believe by his spirit, the spirit of God is here today. And if you'll allow God's spirit to speak to you through this story and let it come alive inside of you and make room in your heart, you won't leave here the same way. So uh, let me read this passage of scripture as if it were speaking directly to us. In fact, uh, I'm going to read it and just go through it as we go through. So let me just stop. I'm going to change plans here. Lord, I just pray that you'll guide everything I say and do. Guide my thoughts. Guide my mind. Empty me of myself. Fill me with your spirit. And uh, Lord, I pray today that we will rise to the next level. We We will step to a higher standard. I ask for grace to do that in Jesus' name. 
As you've got that Bible passage in front of you, maybe the other thing you want to do is get out your phone and uh, get ready to tweet something or Facebook something. I don't know, pastors never ask you to do that in church, but you need to share some of what you hear today. If I catch you playing Angry Birds, I'm coming down there. I'm going to take it away. (laughs) But this is worth sharing today or writing down. Get out your note sheet and uh, write something down. Capture this. Who are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to be like? What is the culture of the people of faith? I've been telling you for these past few weeks, same question over and over. Do you want to be blessed or do you want to be comfortable? Let the word of God just challenge you today because I'm telling you, meaning comes from giving your life to something greater than yourself. In fact, the reason I get up every day is because I know I've given my life to something bigger than me. Um... The reason why my life is satisfying to me and fulfilling to me is because there's something greater that I'm living for, and I've made that decision. There is no greater cause than the church of Jesus Christ, than the mission of Jesus. God wanted a family, and he invited everybody. He invites everyone to be a part of his family, and nations come and go, and businesses come and go, organizations come and go, but the church of Jesus Christ will never pass away because God created his word, and he's created people, and those are the only two things that are going to last forever, and the more you commit your life to something that's never going to fade away, the more significance you're going to have. This passage casts a vision for the people of God, and it's going to call you and challenge you to another level. Let's begin in verse seven. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart. It's as if he was speaking to us today in this economy, in this culture. You shall not harden your heart because it's all about the heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. This is all about the heart. Who will be first in our heart? And four issues of the heart are about to surface in this passage. The first issue being, number one, we're going to have to deal with our selfish hearts. Number one, deal with a selfish heart. It says in verse 9, take care lest there be an unworthy thought or translated into English, the exact same word, a wicked thought, or another word that is translated from this root, a selfish thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. And you say, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, you need to understand how God set up the economy of Israel. In the economy of Israel, God implemented a system where all debts would be canceled at the end of seven years. Every seven years, any debt, anything that was a debt would be canceled and be wiped clean. How many of you would like to live under that economy today? Well, that was God's plan. And you know what? Not only every seventh year, but every seventh you know, seventh year, so every 49 years, not only would that be a year of canceling all debt, that year of Jubilee would be the year where all property would go back to an original owner. So that within a generation of time, if you fell on hard times, 
Not only would you have your debts canceled, but everything that belonged to your family, the property to your family, would come back to its original owner. God set this up that there would be no perpetual poverty in his land. But he knew the hearts of people, and he knew how people's attitudes were, and you know how selfishness is bound up in all of our hearts. And so he speaks to the people this morning and says, hey, 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 don't let a wicked thought get into your heart. And you say to yourself, okay, wait a second, the year of Jubilee is like next year, and if I lend and he doesn't pay me back, that debt's going to be canceled so I think I won't lend. (laughs) He's saying, don't even let that thought of withholding, when you see someone in need, don't let even the thought of withholding get into your heart. You're just supposed to give freely and generously. Now, God understood this. This is what he is after. The higher standard for his followers are to deal with our selfish heart. It is deep within us. We struggle with it. The first word that any child ever says well is mine. (laughs) mine, mine, mine. And you know what? We've grown up and we still kind of say the same thing. Like my wife will say the same thing when I reach for her fries. She'll say, get your own, mine, you know? I can't seem to get past that. It is bound up deep in our hearts. You know, we tell our kids, share, 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 share. And then we get older and we're still struggling with this very issue. You know, a children's law of ownership is that if it's in your, if, 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 it, if I think it's mine, it's mine, right? That's the children's law of ownership. Here's another one. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear in any way to be yours. <laughs> um, if, if I'm doing something or building something, then all the pieces I need are mine. And if I think it's mine, it's mine. I mean, that's the exact, we haven't, not, we haven't grown out of that. And so we've got to come to the place. You've got to expect that at some point in your life, God is going to zero in and say, okay, okay, uh, man, woman, child, student, it's time to deal with selfishness in your heart because this is going to keep you from what God wants. He's going to deal with that root nature. He's going to call you to step up to a higher standard. And so we say to ourselves, well, I guess over time, I guess it happens. The more I follow Christ, not necessarily. You can be 70 years old and still have the heart of selfishness of a seven-year-old. You see, not just time spent will make you uh, mature in Christ. You see, the only way that we grow spiritually, God set it up that you would have to be part of the family. That you only grow to maturity when you commit yourself into relationship with some other Christians. That's God's plan for you. So number one, if you're going to deal with your selfish heart, then you're going to have to get into relationship with some other Christians. That means committing yourself to the family, to a local family of God. To get past this whole, I want to keep all my options open. I really don't want to commit myself to anyone or anything. I'll just kind of attend. Because you see, if you do that, what you do psychologically is you make the church really kind of all about you, like what's in it for me, and when I want to show up and when I don't want to show up, and God says, that's okay for a while, but if you want to grow spiritually, you're going to have to commit yourself to some other Christians, whether, you, whether it's convenient or not, it's what's required. That's why I'm teaching this class this afternoon, Discovering Harlan. I've taught it all through the years. Every couple of months, I teach people, listen, there are five purposes in the church that God created, five reasons why a church exists, and he's calling you to fulfill those purposes. The, the purposes aren't about you. The purposes are about you saying, okay, together, as I find my place in the body of Christ, we are going to accomplish the five purposes of God. And see, until you start to take responsibility for that, you don't really grow. You think that the church is just about you and your needs. And so God says, I want you to deal with that noncommittal spirit. 
So in January, we're starting a whole new series of classes that we're going to make available. I'm going to invite everyone to participate. Discover your church family. Discover spiritual maturity, where you will ask you, first of all, to commit to your church family, and then number two, commit to the habits of spiritual maturity. We're going to ask you to discover your, your shape for ministry. Commit yourself to discovering your spiritual gifts so that you can use what God gave you in the body of Christ. And then number four, the fourth class, discover your mission in the world. In other words, God gave you a ministry in the church, but he gave you a ministry in the world, which is part of the purpose for your existence. And until you commit yourself to that mission, God will never reveal it to you. And so we're going to do a class for every one of those because it's time to go to a higher standard. The big idea here is that you do not grow without commitment. The problem is you're about half committed to about 40 things. And there's no time to be committed to anything. And I'm going to be challenging you over these next six months and into next year and into our next decade together to get very committed to about three things or four things. 100% commitment to the things that really matter. See, I want the next 10 years to be the best 10 years of your life, and you don't just drift. I want something great for you, and that means I'm going to help you and challenge you to set some goals that are going to matter. Primarily, number one, you're going to get out of debt. 100%. I want to get rid of all debt. I want to get out of debt. See, I'm going to help you to do that, but it's going to take your faith to believe, yes, that can happen, and I'm going to do that. It's one of the priorities. You're going to have to be very committed to some other Christians in order to find what God wants for your life. And so in committing yourself to some other Christians, it's going to begin to deal with your selfish heart. We're well on our way to that, but we need to get better, and I'm calling everybody. The second thing he starts to deal with in this passage is to deal with a grudging heart. It says, to him, it says this, You shall give to him, to the one in need, freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. In other words, you won't regret it. Because for this, when you give and you give without grudging, it says for that. If you do that, God promises something. Your your God will bless you in all of your work and in all that you undertake. What a powerful promise. You see, selfishness attacks us before we give and grudging attacks us after we give. Like if you've ever given a large amount by faith to God, you, gave, you started tithing the first time, or you wrote out some check that was over and above and you felt compelled and you did it, and then right afterwards something broke, <laughs> and there was some, or some, some need that came up in your family, and you went, oh, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that, and there's this whole you know, stirring up thing. Well, God is, you know that God's going to take care of you, but you know, God is going to start to deal with these issues. He's going to give you opportunity to wrestle with grudging. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to take somebody out to lunch today. I forgot to get any cash. I need to remember to do that. Oh. Hey, Hey, there you go. Wow, thank you very much. Wasn't that amazing? I just kind of mentioned a need. I was in need, and John comes running with $50. (laughs) You know why? You know why he gave that to me so quick? You want to know the secret? I gave it to him before the service. <laughs> I cheated, but I gave it to him. It was my money, and I handed it to him, and then you know what? He, and I kind of arranged it. And you know why he had no trouble doing that? Because, because it's my money, and he's just bringing it to me. Oh, this is a really good illustration. <laughs> this is a really good illustration because, because you, you don't grudge. I mean, there's no grudging when you don't think that it's yours. 
You only think it, you only get like, like this when you think this is mine and somebody's trying to take it or, or I'm, I, should, I don't want to give it away. When you realize, when you come to the place of spiritual maturity where you realize that everything you have, all of it, it just came from God. God blessed you with it. And when God says, bring something to me, or he puts something on your heart, or he says, bring me the tithe, not give the tithe. And every time in the scripture, you'll notice it says the word bring. You know why? You can't give what's not yours. So you bring the tithe to him. Why? Because it's his. I don't have any problem with it. I'm telling you, God's going to want to deal with our grudging heart. Let me look at this verse again. Look at what it says. If, if because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. When, you, when you're not grudging, when you start to give out freely, God says, I'll bless you in all that you do and anything that you put your hand to. Now, let me just apply that to us as a church together. The reason why God has blessed Heartland, it is not because of skill or ability or giftedness. It's simply because there was the decision from day one, God, you're gonna use us to bless the world. You see, here's the thing. God can trust people with blessing who become a conduit. Okay, God's just saying, okay, where are the people, where's the church that cares about other people and makes them a priority? That's the church I'm going to bless. So if we were all of a sudden to start going, well, you know what, it's been a great 10 years, now we can get comfortable, we can kind of settle in, we can make it more about us, we can slow down, we can stop reaching out, God would take his hand off of us just like that. Because the reason why God has blessed us is because we have been giving out. The church that says, you know what, we don't want to grow, we don't want to reach out, is basically saying to the world, you guys can go to hell. It takes enormous spiritual maturity and unselfish people to grow a church that cares about others, that reaches out, to give up their parking spot without grudging, to give up their seat without grudging, to leave a church that they invested money in and built and then say, I'm gonna go up to another campus and set up and tear down every single week. It takes enormous spiritual maturity to uh, start or to begin some ministry that's very fulfilling to someone and then they realize God's calling me up higher and I'm gonna give this and involve someone else and turn over what I've created to them. It takes incredible spiritual maturity for a church to have a heart that reaches out, that is no longer grudging. It takes incredible maturity not to let grudges settle into your spirit as God begins to do his work. I want you to think about how much change the founding members of Heartland Church have had over the years. Can you imagine what it's like? Imagine that they started showing up and there was just a handful of people and it really, a lot of attention and focus on them and their families and they'd say, hey Darren, what are you doing tonight? And I'd go, nothing, come over. Okay, great. And we'd come over and we had all this time to spend together and it was great. And you know what? I'm lucky now if I see some of those founding members once a month as we're passing by as we serve God in our different capacities. And somewhere along the way, there was just a decision like, okay, we love each other, but we're giving up uh, something so that we can continue to do the work and the mission of God. You see, God commands us to, to reach out, and it takes unselfish people to keep obeying that command, and it takes a, a heart that doesn't have any grudging in it to keep going and to keep going. I want the next 10 years of our church to be the best 10 years of our church. I don't believe they're behind us. And let me give you three reasons why I know that God is never going to stop blessing our church and why we're never going to stop growing. This is what we need to remember. God commands us to grow. He commands us to reach out. We don't need this church to be any bigger. In fact, it was easier at about 300. 
I knew everybody's name. I knew their wife. I knew their kids. I knew their dog. I mean, I knew everything about their family. The church spent, it was enough in size to support our needs. And, you know, there was a little bit less work. There was less pressure. But now, I want you to understand the influence and the reach of what's going on. In 1990, there were 4,000 people that lived in all of this community, up here in Fishers at least. And now, all these years later, in this church, there's 4,000 people connected to Heartland Church. I checked the roll this week. That's like a small town. I'm like a mayor of a small town. <laughs> Do you realize how many people might be in the hospital or be reaching out or be in some sort of crisis at ever, any given week? We don't do this because, because we're comfortable. We do this because God commands us to reach out. We, we do this uh, because uh, God tells us that everybody needs Jesus. Every drop of blood from the cross said, I love you and I matter. And God wants to give his son to every single person. So as long as there's somebody that you love that doesn't know Christ yet, we're commanded to reach out. And you see, your heart cares. Do you realize there's over 3,000 individual names? Well, we we can't count anymore. There's like 3,000 names all around this room. I came in here Sunday night with our students, and I invited them to pray for the people that matter to them. And I walked down, and I've come back in here. I've prayed. The, the students put all these ones across the front. And some of them say, Mom or Dad. Because they're praying that God would reach their mom or their dad. It matters to them. You see, God commands us to go after that and, and to reach and to reach out to that student's mom or their dad or to your loved one or the people we're praying for. It's not an option. We can't ever just go, you know, well, it doesn't matter. It's going to make it about us. God commands us to reach out and people need it. But here's the third reason that the needs of people right now demand it. We live in a crazy world, do we not? Is this not some of the most bizarre times you've ever seen? I mean, there's stuff on the news that five years ago you would be shocked at and now it's kind of like, oh, that again. I mean, it is a crazy time. I don't know how people are living without, without that rock-solid power and presence of God in their life, without knowing that, God, you're somehow going to make a way. God, I know that you're with me. God, I know you hold the future in your hands. God, I know that you're in charge of my life, and, and you know, my, 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 uh, my peace has been made with you. People need now more, got more of God's strength, more of his wisdom, more of his power. They need, they need his sanity. People need Christ now more than ever. And God commands us to go and bring that. I mean, here's the incredible thing. That if we'll just, you know, there are people right now saying, oh, this is a difficult time. This is a hard time for the church. It's a hard time for nonprofits. Are you guys, are they crazy? This is the greatest season of opportunity ever that we've seen. People are more responsive to the gospel of Jesus now than almost any other time I've seen. People are desperate to have hope. And so God has positioned us because of what he's done in our lives and because of the message that we have and the gospel he's given. We're, we, we say, we, I know, I have the hope of the world. And uh, that's why we have to reach out. If not us, then who? And if not now, then when would we ever do that? Now is the time. And so that's why we're going to continue to reach out. And so we've got to continually deal with the selfishness and the grudging that's in our heart that resists doing that. If we're going to accomplish what God would have for us in the next 10 years, we're going to have to make some room in our heart and deal with selfishness and deal with grudging. And then in this passage, he shifts it not just from what we're not to do, but what we should do. He says, 
you know, deal with your selfish heart and deal with your grudging in your heart. But he says, develop a generous heart instead. Look what he says. The passage says in verse 11, for there will never cease to be poor in your land. And by the way, I've heard Christians use this little phrase as some sort of cop-out. Well, you know, the poor you'll always have with you, and so that means I don't have to do anything. Oh, yes, well, I'd like to enlighten and read the rest of the verse. There will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother. You see, selfishness is so rooted into the heart that even Christians can twist Bible verses to try to somehow get them out of an obligation to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world. Am I talking to anybody in this room? Thank you. He commands us to reach out. To, the, to our brothers, to the needy, to the poor in your land. You shall furnish them generously out of your resources, all that you have. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. So you give out of what the Lord has blessed you with. We, we've got to come to the place where we're so spiritually mature that we've moved past that, well, I give so that God will bless me, or I'll give so I can get. No, the, the, the spiritual maturity position is, Lord, I give to give. Lord, I give because it excites me. Lord, I give because your gospel needs to be given. I give because you first gave. I give to give. And we just get excited when the people of God, when, when a culture of God's people sees a need, they don't shrink back from it or they don't say, oh no, not again. They begin to say, well, yes, we can take care of that too and we can rise to that and there's something that we can do about that. And their heart just begins to expand. You see, God is looking for hearts who are fully committed to him. And when you are a conduit, God knows that he can trust you to bless you. It doesn't turn us off when we hear about opportunity. We say, well, God, then use us. Here we are. That's the spiritually mature response. And see, this is why God, again, has blessed us in the last 10 years. I'm just so grateful and thankful for people who have seen this and and understood the heart of this. Because, you know, we just started off with a handful of people in a living room with a dream. And today, you know, we're, we're, we're on two different campuses and all these people we're affecting here, the three different churches that we've started and sent out and, and, and a Apart from Heartland, there's another thousand people in the greater Indianapolis area going to church today because of people that left Heartland that we sent out to establish churches in other areas. Because they, people developed a generous heart. I remember a few years ago when um, we, we, we were doing the campaign, the One Life campaign, our first one, to say... We're going to create more seats for the people who aren't here yet. We were building this. And halfway through, we heard about this crisis, this water crisis in the country of Sierra Leone. And our hearts were affected. And we said, well, we can be somebody's miracle right now. And we put our needs on hold and we began to give. And a generosity explosion took place. And people gave sacrificially. And we got involved to where a commitment was finally made that we're going to put 100 wells in this country, uh, you know, to affect 100,000 people. It was like a half million dollar commitment. And we had no idea how. But you see, what was incredible about that is that it wasn't just this one-time deal. That work has been going on. There are people from our church today in Sierra Leone getting prepared to celebrate the 50th well installation. And you understand, it's not just about wells. That's 50,000 people every day are celebrating because they have access to clean water and their lives and their children are being saved. That all happened because there was this dream, there's a need and let's respond. And our hearts got attached. How much joy has been in our hearts just over water being provided? 
You see, God captured a hold of us. And it wasn't just in Sierra Leone, but when we decided that we were going to respond after the earthquake in Haiti, and we said, well, we've got to do something. My heart, I grew up there, and I said, well, let's do something. And you guys responded. Do you know last year we gave $375,000 away into outreach and into the poor and into mission around the world. In this economy, this was given away. But if that wasn't just enough, it wasn't, it wasn't just what we gave. You see, this is what generosity does. Generosity inspires people, and it calls people to action. And so because of strategic partnerships, when other people saw what we were giving and the Rotary International got involved with Sierra Leone and Pastor Jeffrey Johnson from Eastern Star Church and 31 other churches here in the city of Indianapolis, when we all got together, something incredible happened. An additional million dollars was given last year. And so now we're able to say, wow, there's, there's 60,000 children per day being fed in the country of Haiti. I want that to sink in every single day. We couldn't do that ourselves but we decided to be generous and to give out, and that called all kinds of influence and generosity. You see, this is what happens when we can't imagine the influence and the blessing that God puts in our heart and the joy that we have when we say, God, expand me, use me, stretch me, build me into something greater. It all goes back to the heart. And that's why Jesus said it so clearly. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so you guys understand this. Wherever, whatever you invest in, whatever you start to give to, it starts to grab hold of your heart. You, you invest in a stock, and suddenly your heart gets, gets invested. It beats faster when three little letters start going across the bottom of a screen because you say, I've got some money there. Or I didn't care about Chicago, I told you a few weeks ago, until my treasure moved there. My son started going to college in Chicago. And now I care about the weather, and I pray about Chicago. I didn't care before. See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To the degree that God gets what you treasure, he'll get your hearts. And if you'll just do something practical, you won't believe what he'll do spiritually in your life. If you want your heart to grow, if you, you say, Darren, I don't understand the passion that you have. I get people ask me that sincerely. Or they'll look around, they'll see other people and say, I want what they have. I want that, that sense of, of, of uh, excitement and passion for life and, and that sense of, of making a difference and being used by God and walking in his presence. And I'll say, well, that can happen. Start giving 20%. Well, I don't mean it like that. I don't want to do that. No, seriously. At some point, my wife and I decided it wasn't going to be about some legalistic calculation. We said, you know what? Let's position ourselves that for the rest of our lives, we seek to increase our capacity to be more and more about God's kingdom. And as we did that, God got more of our heart and our passion and our joy and, our, and, our, and really what life is all about has come clear. And your heart becomes less and less attached to things that don't even matter. And you're set free. If you want your heart to be in the kingdom, then start to invest in God's kingdom. And because some of you have done this, and you've sacrificed, and you've brought your tithe, and you've given over and above and beyond, you know, the greatest number I can tell you is that in the last year, after, even after, just after Monday night, Betsy was number 1,126 people that were baptized at Heartland Church. And then her dad and her care provider were number 20, 1,127 and 28. And then a few other people that were baptized as well. And some of you today, you see, it's because of what God does in our hearts. And lives are changed forever. And how can we put a price tag on that? 
Now, here's some things that we've been known for in the last few years, and I want us to build on that. And this is what I think we need to be known for in the next 10 years. Because in the last 10 years, we've been known for being an accepting church. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done or who you are or where you come from. You're just going to be made welcome here. We've, known, we've been known as a generous church, a church that reaches out, and we've been known as a church that cares about kids. But here's what we need to build on for the next 10 years. Number one, we need to be a church that's known for meeting the needs of people in our community. I don't mean just about what happens on Sunday morning, that we just love people who come here. I mean that people in our community, the word begins to spread that if you're in trouble, if you have a need, if there's a problem, Heartland is ready to respond. That there's support for every kind of problem. There's recovery of every kind, for every kind of addiction. There's, there's groups of people that will reach out. We, we secured a phone number called 1-800-HELP-FOR-ME. And that's going to have people on it 24 hours a day, ready to pray for people in our community in crisis. And then direct them the next morning to show up and be connected with one of our Stevens ministers. A Stevens minister is simply a layperson who's had months of training just to prepare themselves to be ready to help a person that's in crisis. There's 10 people right now that have been training all year, and come January, we're going to commission them. And then we're going to expect another 100 people. I want 100 Stevens ministers in the next year. So don't get all scared there, uh, you know, you guys. <laughs> but I'm expecting a bunch of you are going to be want to be a part of that, that you'll be trained in how to respond and how to let God use you in the life of somebody else. We're going to be known as a church that 24 hours a day in this community is meeting the needs of people. The second thing we're going to be known for is a church that reaches out to students. There is a teenager explosion that's happening in our community. I don't know if you've known this. You might want to get off the roads. But um, <laughs> there, are, there are, are um, 14 elementary schools in Fishers alone. And then beyond, think of all of our other communities and all of the junior highs and the high schools they're building. Fully a third of this community is going to be about the age of 15, 16 years of age in the next few years. And God got a hold of my heart. And while I was on sabbatical, I said, God, I'm devoting the rest of my life to this next generation. I came back and I started meeting with our students on Sunday night at 630. If you're a student, you want to come and be there. We have an amazing time together. And we started off with just about 12 people, and now there's uh, 70, 80 people, every, uh, teenagers, you know, every, every Sunday night. And what's incredible is just calling them up to a higher standard. Because there's nothing more powerful than a, than a teenager that is grateful, a teenager that is respectful, and a teenager that... Um, is a, a teenager of integrity. Like they've finally gotten free that I don't have to pretend with all these different people and I can be myself whether I'm at home or at school or in the locker room or wherever I am, I'm the same person. When you find a student that gets that, they become one of the most powerful, actually that's one of the most powerful voices in the whole world. And I want to introduce you to some of these young people. And this whole church is going to be given over in the next 10 years. We're going to give this ministry to students. And I'm going to call all of you who are 35 years in age of older. How many of you are that, right? Okay, you can admit it. It's all right. I know some of you are 29 forever. But, but we're going to give ourselves to mentor the next generation. The scriptures say one generation will commend his works to the other. And it's our responsibility to give ourselves and to mentor and to raise up spiritual leadership. And I, want to, I, I just can't wait to, to show up here and to see students leading worship and students serving in every capacity on a Sunday. And there's an incredible, generous church behind them cheering them on. It's going to take some generosity on your part, of your time, of your attitudes. There's going to be some music you probably won't like, some of you. I got some earplugs for you. It's going to be okay. 
But here's the thing. Do you want to be in a church where it's just you and your friends, or do you want to be in a church that has 17-year-olds and 70-year-olds in the same worship service? It's going to take some generosity of heart. It's going to take a, a heart to mentor and to, and to serve. But I want to tell you, I know full well what our students are dealing with. I know that this is the toughest time ever to be a teenager, but it's also a time when great light can come from students because the students that follow Christ passionately will be the leaders of the next generation. And we have an opportunity to raise them up. How do you mentor a student? Well, you bring them along with you, which means this. This is where the generosity part kicks in. It means I'm calling all of you to start to serve. Not for you. I'm asking you to serve the kingdom of God for the next generation. Mentoring doesn't happen by sitting a kid down and talking to them. It happens as you do something together, as you, as you do something meaningful, as you serve and you're just on the journey together. So some of you who are gonna serve and be part of our host team, you know, you're going to go into it going, I'm not just standing out here to wave at people. I'm getting involved with this so I can mentor the next generation. You understand that when people show up at church, they're not asking a religious question. They're asking a sociological question, which is, is there anybody here like me? Anybody here look like me? Do I feel like I fit in? So if all of our host team is 60 <laughs> and there's a third of our population is teenagers, it's not, we need to be represented properly which means that some of you, all of you need to just say, all right, I'm getting involved in serving for the purpose of mentoring students. And we're gonna bring these students that are going to commit to a high level, and I'm calling all of our students this incredibly high standard, and to come and serve the kingdom of God. And it's gonna take an incredibly generous body of people to say we're willing to give our time and our talents and our energy to mentor the next generation. I hope you're with me on this. This is the most important part of what we're gonna do. The third thing we're going to be known for is radical love. I mean, not just accepting, but taking it to a whole other level. Radical love. Like the way we love each other, the way we treat each other. If you get upset with somebody else, you have the maturity to deal with it and not withdraw and not attack. But you hang in there and you deal with your relationships biblically and you, and you handle it right. And then the way we love other people as we, as we reach out. And we just are sacrificial in our reaching out. That's what all these boxes are all about. As we uh, fill these up with food from our houses. And you know, these boxes were free. A member in our church just went to a friend and said, your company makes these boxes, I want you to give a bunch. And those were provided for us, a thousand boxes. So now we take that as, okay, God, you've given us a thousand boxes to fill so that a thousand families can have their needs met in our community this Christmas. That's gonna take, you know, just by our numbers here today, it's gonna take more than one box of family for some of us. But if we could all reach out, I mean, if, you, if we fill all these boxes, that's like 44,000 pounds of food that are going to be distributed into our community this Christmas. Because why? That's the church that cares about people. And some of those people, you'll just take that to yourselves. I mean, God has already put on your mind families that are in need. And so don't just pass it off to somebody else. You carry it right there and say, we love you and God loves you. And here's a gift from us. And you'll just tell us that story. We're going to be known not just one time a year. This is going to start happening all the time as we reach out in generosity to our community. And so these are what we're going to be known for. The Bible says your strong love, your overflowing generosity for each other will prove to the world that you're my disciples. That's the only message the world wants to see from Christians today is do you actually walk the talk and do you love? 
And we move way past this giving for ourselves, giving to get, giving to build our own kingdom. We give to give out. We've got to become generous. Here's the last one. We develop a grateful heart. A grateful heart. Most of you know the story, how Laurie and I moved here. We sold our home. We left all of our family behind, left my job, and we just came here not knowing one person. You've heard that story. But I wonder if you know our giving testimony. That um, three times in our life, we have given away everything. When we left Philadelphia to come here, we gave it all. We actually gave the last amount of money in, in our savings account, our, that $1,000. We just gave it away saying, God, we, we give that to you, trusting you to bless us. When we were doing the One Life campaign a few years ago, when we were trying to create this place, my wife and I says, we are all in. We gave it all. We gave everything that we had. In fact, my wife actually during that campaign felt God speak to her and she sold her engagement and her wedding ring so that we could be all in. We could give everything to the Lord. And we've done this, we've done this at least three times in our life and God has just blessed us. I say this to you not as some high example spiritually because I struggle with all kinds of stuff too. I'm just telling you at some point in my life I said, you know what God, I want to be all in in your kingdom and either I believe you or I don't. And God has just blessed me. So now I feel that I have like some sort of, like I can tell you from my side that with all authority, that generosity is the way to live your life. It's the way to live. Gratitude is what produces that kind of generosity. You say, Darren, how'd you get to that spot? How'd you get to be like that? Well, listen, when you start to zero in on really what God has done for you, I mean, think about it. There was a time in my life when I knew all about God, but my heart was so far from God. I was headed in the wrong direction. I was headed in a path that would have led me to destruction, and God reached my heart. He one day just went like this, and I realized my need for him. And I repented, and I turned direction, and I said, I'm going to follow you now. And when I think about the change of direction and what God's done in me and how he has blessed me and what he's done through me and what, how he's filled me uh, with so much joy for serving him, I, I'm grateful every day. I'm, so, I'm the luckiest person in the world, uh, the most blessed man. So I thank God. And once you, when, you, when you internalize gratitude, um, generosity is easy because you're like the people who are reminded in this passage. Verse 15 says, you know, remember you used to be a slave in Egypt. You didn't have anything. You were a slave to your sin. You were stuck. You were, you were in bondage. And I came in and I set you free. And I picked you up out of where you were and I set you on a path that would lead you to freedom. And when you start to really realize that and you get thankful, you say, God, what else can I do for you? You've redeemed my life. I owe you everything. And that's where generosity comes from. Now, this is the higher standard that God calls his people to. Now, you can play church and just attend and go once a week, or you can become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it's all about your heart, and it's all about what you'll believe for yourself and what kind of faith you'll commit to. Jesus said in this, through, he's speaking to us, he commands us, not even in a legalistic way, but just because I, I command it to you because I want something for you. It's the motivation for our giving. And that's why we reach out beyond ourselves. That's why we're always sending money away. And that's why we're starting all these churches and sending leaders out and young pastors to go and to start these new works. 
and why we ask people who paid and sacrificed to build this, who are now up at HSC serving and setting up and tearing down every Sunday. And they gave. Why? Because they're just grateful and they want to see the kingdom of God established. I'm telling you, by the end of the next 10 years, the dream is that there will be a Heartland Bloomington and a Heartland Church Fort Wayne and a Heartland Church Terre Haute and Columbus and Kokomo and every major city in Indianapolis will have the light of the gospel we'll send people to. Every major community in Indianapolis, Heartland Butler, Heartland West Noblesville, Heartland Lawrence. You know, there hasn't been a church been planted in Lawrence in 20 years. Lawrence isn't Carmel. But you know what? God can send us as people of generosity to some amazing people that are God wants to save and reach out to. God wants to use us to go and to fulfill his commission. And it's just going to take some grateful, generous people to do that. Say, God, I'm willing to go where you want me to go. Use me the way you want to use me. You know, um, just a year ago, we started to get heavily involved with the church in Noblesville. We served them. We blessed them. We got involved. Somewhere along the way, West Noblesville Community Church says, you know what, we want to be a part of this vision. They sold their building, they sold their land, and they came and they said, here, and they gave it to Heartland. We just received that like a few weeks ago, $600,000 so that we can start churches all over Indiana, the first one being a campus in West Noblesville, which those folks are so excited about. You see, God is using us already. Before, we just dream it, and God has resources to provide that we know nothing about. I've been praying for a long time that God would let us buy this building and establish this as a permanent base for us in this location, because we just rent it. And what was amazing is just a few weeks ago, the owner of this building says, I'm finally ready to sell, and at the price we needed. What's so amazing about it is that we'll, we'll save uh, money that we would pay in rent, and that would have escalated. And it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be lower. And the best part is, is that we'll save $112,000 a year in taxes that can go back into ministry and we can get all of the space. We need that 10,000 square feet next door so badly for our children and students. And God's just provided that for us. It's an opportunity for us to step up. And so we're going to have a special offering because it's going to take a million dollars in cash to make this happen, to get this building purchased. So we're going to have, it's a, nobody ever accused us of having small goals, Okay. So just breathe. It's all right. But we got to do this. And so we're going to have a special offering on October, or excuse me, December the 18th. December the 18th, just a few weeks from now, because we want to get this done before the end of the year. And over and above, beyond what we're currently giving, because we still got to do the ministry that we're doing, but this is something over and above and beyond. If you've never given before, everything's over and above. So we're glad. We ask you to join it. But I'm asking everybody to pray about this and join me. I'm asking you this, in this service, something else, very specific, that we're praying for over 3,000 people around, you know, all these people, they're individuals, and I just believe that if we don't only pray, but if we'll make room in our church, God will bring these people to us. Okay, so I'm asking you this, I need 300 people from this service at 11 o'clock Normally, on a normal Sunday, this place is packed, and we can't have any more people come here. This is just getting too much. There's not enough parking. There aren't enough seats, and I need 300 people from this service to go up and start serving at HSE. I want some of you to become missionaries. I need 300 people to make room for the people who aren't here yet because we can't just be praying for people and just doing nothing about it. We can't say, God, I'm praying for them. I hope they come, but then not make any, make any room 
and other people made room for you before you, and now it's time for many of you to say, I'm going to serve. Some of you can just leave this service and, serve, and go to church at 9 o'clock and then serve in this service. I'm looking for 100% participation of every Christ follower in some way. I will serve the mission of Jesus. No more spectators. No one just sitting, not just sitting anymore, but to serve God's mission in the world. I'm asking you to commit. And if you do this, if you'll take that step, God is going to enlarge your heart. God's going to grow your passion. You're going to grow spiritually because it's not going to be about you. You're going to do it for God and for his kingdom. I hope you're with me on this. Is there anybody listening to me this morning that can respond? We are blessed to be a blessing. And so God, make us less selfish. God, make us less grudging. God, make us more generous. God, make us more grateful. And let your kingdom come right here on earth right now. That's what I'm asking you to do. Make room in your heart. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will will deeply convict us and you'll give us joy in advance. A deep satisfaction of knowing that as we commit ourselves fully to you, you're going to change our lives. I pray that you'll call every person to the higher level and to have that constructive discontent about where they are today. And for the person that doesn't know you, who wants to be a part of your mission in the world, I pray that they'd say yes to you today. Just say this, dear Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, make me a new person, and I commit to follow you, whatever you say, in Jesus' name, amen. By the time this service is over, I'm going to, by faith, step into some water, and uh, it'll be my joy to lead you to a public demonstration of your faith in Christ. We have everything you need. All that's waiting is for you to step into the water and say, Jesus Christ, I'll announce you publicly as my Lord and Savior. It'll be after everybody's gone. The other thing is, is as you leave, put some names up on the wall, pray for some people, stick around. I just love you guys so much. Thank you for the privilege of serving you as your pastor.